Hypnosis is not about the practitioner controlling you. It's about you being given the tools to control areas of your thought life that you've had a hard time getting under wraps. There is actual science behind this, that it's not all smoke and mirrors and it's not all theatrics because unfortunately, that's what most people think about when they think about hypnosis. They're not thinking about someone being able to manage their PTSD better. They're thinking about someone standing on a stage and clucking like a chicken. The best cushion that I came up with for my own thoughts with this were to look at her and say, well, I guess it's a good thing that I don't care what your God thinks about anything. Because in my estimation of things, any God who would rather me still be sick than do something that's going to make me well isn't worth worshiping. Yeah. They're not okay with you getting well, but they're perfectly okay with you staying sick and tethered to a God who doesn't love you. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get Unbound. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. We're back for another year of taking evangelical shenanigans by the balls and assaulting them with truth that smacks like a 40 of twisted tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight we're going to be talking about hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Are these things real? Are they effective? Is it something that anyone with a rational mind should be even considering as a legitimate therapy. These are the things that we're going to be talking about tonight and also how evangelicals decry the entire thing while still slipping it right under the radar pretty mm -hmm. much every Sunday when you're in church. Oh yeah. So before we do that, let's give everybody our Patreon information, patreon.com slash unbound podcast network. If you got a fiver you can throw our way, we'd love to have it. We'd love to use it to help more people get and stay unbound. And we would love to be able to let you in on episodes a little early and also start adding a few more perks when we get a few more patrons. So Unbound Podcast Network on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. And if you are low on funds, we totally get that. So again, just tell somebody about us and tell them this week. We did see kind of an upsurge in the last couple of weeks. So yeah. if you guys are doing that for us, thank you so much. And the more you talk about us, the more people are going to hear us and the more we're going to be able to do to help expose all of those shenanigans that I just talked about and a whole lot more. We've got a very, very full docket for 2021. And as I was going through all of the ideas that I listed last week, this one just jumped out at me and I said, it's time to just do this because it's something that I have significant experience with. And I think you'll be surprised at my take on it because I know that there are a lot of atheists out there that look at this in a very iffy sort of way. And I look at it in a very skeptical sort of way too, but I trust science over my own perceptions of things. And according to science, this is a real thing. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised at some of the sources that actually endorse the practice of hypnotherapy, but let's just make sure that we understand this. It's called hypnotherapy for a reason. And in the context of clinical therapy, it is a real thing. It's an effective thing. But the way that we have been taught to think about hypnosis, 
which is the basis of hypnotherapy. Right. There's a lot of fakery out there. There's a lot of things that make the whole thing look bad. So hopefully, once we're done tonight, you'll understand what this is a little bit more, and you'll understand why I feel like there is significant merit to this in certain contexts and for certain purposes. Let's jump in and just talk a little bit about what hypnosis is. For the answer to the question of what hypnosis is, I am just going to refer directly to the experts. Professionals from sources like the Mayo Clinic and Psychology Today all agree that this is a real thing. The question isn't whether or not it's real. The question is whether or not it's real in specific contexts and whether or not it's being used ethically and effectively. Mm. Hypnosis is used in professional clinical settings in specific ways to combat everything from post-traumatic stress to chronic pain. It's been shown to be a legitimate and effective therapy in these and other areas, particularly in areas like weight loss, smoking cessation, and PTSD. I found a really good article on Psychology Today that explains what this is and what it can do. And here's a direct quote. It's from an article on Psychology Today called The Truth About Hypnosis. And this is a direct quote. Hypnosis is a state of highly focused attention or concentration often associated with relaxation and heightened suggestibility. While under hypnosis, i.e. in a hypnotic trance, it seems many people are much more open to helpful suggestions than they usually are, unquote. Hypnosis was used on me for both anger management and weight loss, and I found that it worked well in both of those instances, especially in the weight loss arena because I was close to 400 pounds and literally lost an entire adult male <laughs> as a result of going through this program that was based on hypnosis. Right. So I'm living proof that it's real. And, and even though that's true, I've still kind of vacillated over time over whether or not I was actually hypnotized during these sessions. But again, I'm deferring to the experts here. And everything that I read this week about this tells me unequivocally that this is something that can happen. And when I think back to the sessions that I was in, a lot, if not all of these pieces kind of fell into place. And I'll go into more depth with this as we go on. But suffice it to say that I've managed to keep a lot of weight off for a, a lot of years now. Mm. And it has everything to do with the fact that I sat in three of these sessions and just did what I was told to do in my conscious state of mind. Now, what was going on beneath the surface, what was going on in my subconscious, I have no idea. If she was putting suggestions in there, I was not privy to it. But I do recall feeling a sense of dreaminess. Mm -hmm. It was oh, almost yeah. like being asleep, but I knew that I was awake. But there were things that were going on that really made it feel more dreamlike. Right. So I feel like something actually did happen there. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly what or how because... You know, I walked into it with this notion of hypnosis, starting off with things like being told you are getting sleepy. <laughs> and yeah, no, there was none of that. It was a very, very different thing than what I was expecting it to be. And that was one of the key reasons why I walked away from it wondering if I had actually been hypnotized or just talked to. Right. And that question has kind of lingered with me over time. But the bottom line is... I have an entire adult male that is no longer riding around on my back. <laughs> and it has everything to do with the fact that I walked into these sessions at a point when I was ready to make a change. And I was 
also, you know, knee deep in Wicca at that point. <laughs> so anything that seemed like it had a transformative kind of effect, I didn't really care whether it was spiritual or secular or anything like that. All I knew is that at that point in my life, I was more apt to believe in it. I'm not sure if it would work on me now, but given the fact that I've done my research on it and I'm satisfied that this is a real thing, it probably would. But I do look at things with a much more critical eye these days. So that can have an effect on whether or not it works. I think that if I approached it the way that the experts say that you're supposed to approach it, it probably would. And it also wasn't the very first time that I had experienced hypnosis because it was just weird. In May of 2013, two major things happened in my life. I made two very major decisions. I got into therapy because the anger was out of control and I just didn't know myself anymore. And I was just afraid. You know, I, I didn't think that my family would leave me. I didn't think my wife would leave me or anything like that. But I knew that things were miserable around here and I knew that things needed to change. And certain things came to a head toward the end of 2012 that made me start thinking a lot more seriously about this. And it took a little while for me to take action and it took a little bit longer to get connected with a therapist. But this first guy, I lost him after seven weeks mm. and I really just, I was devastated when right. he left for another practice and they didn't take my insurance. But this guy really did tap into the whole spiritual aspect of it, which in retrospect, it's probably a good thing that I'm not with him now. Yeah. But I also think that he was very good at tailoring the way that he approached psychotherapy to the patient who was in front of him at the time. I think that if I was looking for a more clinical approach from this guy, I would have gotten it. But he saw where I was in my head at that time and decided to try something called guided meditation, which is a form of hypnosis. Right. It's not on the same par with other forms of hypnosis, but it is a form of hypnosis. And one of the things that he did for me was he helped me separate different parts of my personality in my head so that I could look more objectively at things. And at that point, I was very much in the mode of assigning personalities to things because I was working with various pagan deities inside my head. And that was where I was at that time. So the anger, or what I thought at the time, was the anger manifested in a very vivid way inside my head, manifested as a person. And I had all the attributes of this person straight in my head. I knew what he looked like. I knew what he sounded like. I knew what his mannerisms were. And my brain just took all of this stuff and amalgamated it into this one persona. And once I had something that, at least in my mind, was standing right in front of me that I could confront or it, confront is the wrong word. And, and this guy would have told me that that's the wrong word. But in front of me that I could actually try to achieve a meeting of the minds with, that's more accurate. Once I had that, it became easier to understand where a lot of this was coming from and how to get that part of me to work with the part of me that knew that it was not a good thing. Right. So in purely secular terms, this guy got me to use my own imagination to my advantage. And I constructed this thing in my head that I was able to, at least on a purely mental and imagination level, look at and confront face to face. 
and start dealing with certain things. And over time, I didn't really need him anymore. That was the thing. I was Mm -hmm. able to just look at this in terms of this cluster of thoughts versus this cluster of thoughts. But through the process of guided meditation, I had really set up a stage in my head with this stuff. And I can still see what it looks like because it's still right there. I can call it up anytime I want, but I know that it's fake. I never at any time thought that I was going to a real place or that I was confronting a real thing inside my head that was like another person or personality. I always knew that it was me. I always knew that it was a construct of my own imagination. But at that point in time, at that place in my life, it was precisely what I needed to start dealing with all of this stuff. And this happened, this started the exact same week that I went for hypnotherapy for weight loss. So within a couple of days of each other, I had started working on me and getting better from the inside out. And when I arrived at that first session, I was ready for it. I lost that weight when I was ready. I was really horribly overweight for decades, but I was just at a point where I could not get up off my couch without help. I had a hell of a time climbing the stairs just to go to go to bed at night and had started seriously contemplating just sleeping on the couch a couple of nights a week so I wouldn't have to deal with it. But I would still have to go upstairs to get my clothes for the next day and all of that. So it it was six of one, half a dozen of the other. I had to be up there at some point during my day. So I might as well sleep in my own comfy bed, even if it did take three or four minutes to climb those stairs. And, and it did. Yeah. It was that bad. But I reached a point of readiness because I had told myself, look, if you don't do something about the things that are wrong in your life right now, things that are wrong in your head, things that are wrong in your body, then you are not long for this world because the depression will overtake you or the physical illnesses that arise from morbid obesity, they're just going to take you. So do you want to die miserable or do you want to do something that allows you to live longer and be happy? And I just reached that crossroads in my head and I was ready to do something. And that's a key part of whether or not hypnosis is actually going to work for you. Another article that I came across was from Time Magazine and it was just an article called Is Hypnosis Real? Here's what science says. This goes back to August of 2018. And just another quick quote here. In some ways, hypnosis can be compared to guided meditation or mindfulness. So there's the connection right there. The idea is to set aside normal judgments and sensory reactions and to enter a deeper state of concentration and receptiveness. So this is something that you do consciously. They talk about subconscious suggestions as part of hypnotherapy, and that is true. But you go into it with an attitude of receptiveness, that this is going to be something good for you, that someone else is going to help you manage your thoughts for a little while here. And you're going to emerge from this a little bit better equipped to deal with certain things. And that's the whole point. It's not about somebody shoving suggestions into your head that you have no idea about. It's not about any of that. And there there were certain things with the weight loss stuff that I had wondered whether or not I had had suggestions tucked in there about those specific things. But that's not what hypnosis does. An ethical hypnotist or hypnotherapist is not going to start shoving things into your head without you knowing they're going in there. So no, I don't think that there were specific things like the fast foods, uh, specifically McDonald's that were just shoved in my head. I was not told by this person, you will never eat McDonald's again. 
No, I don't think that that's what happened at all. I just think that the other things that I learned through that process helped me to steer away from the drive-thru. And that was it. And knowing what I know about myself and knowing what I know about what that food did to me and how much I clung to it, I think that the suggestions that were put in there may not have been specific to it, but they had direct application to it. So the next time I thought about going through that drive-thru, it kind of repulsed me and even scared me a little bit. It's like, look, this is in your past now. You need to leave it in your past. And if you choose not to, then you're also choosing to go back to a lot of those self-destructive patterns. So I made the conscious choice to not go back to it. And I do think that that has something to do with specific suggestions that were put in there, but not about that one thing. Right. Going on now, what is it? It's almost eight years. It'll be eight years in May. I haven't been through that drive-thru at all. Wow. And I don't think that I would have gotten there without a little bit of help. Because it was such a coping mechanism inside my head that I honestly don't think that I could have given it up on my own. And another evidence that I've pieced together in my own mind about this is the fact that when I came home, do you remember when I came home from that first session and literally sat there and cried, mourned over the fact that I was not going to have Big Macs anymore? Right. It was such an intense thing inside my head that it was almost like I was ending a relationship. And in a way I was, I was ending an abusive relationship with food that was destroying me from the inside out. So in a way it was true. And I've told people this many times, it felt like I was breaking up with the food. Mm. That was after just one session. (laughs) And, you know, it was very depressing coming out of that And then realizing just how quickly and how completely my thoughts about this had shifted, I wasn't craving Big Macs. I was grieving the loss of Big Macs. And that was a different place for my head to be in at that time. But you know what got me over it? Mm -hmm. A couple of days later, and literally a couple of days later, because I started aggressively low-carbing. And I went for my first session on Monday. On Thursday, I was kind of crawling the walls a little bit. And I was starting to miss certain things just a little bit too much. And I was thinking about them just a little bit too much. So I decided that I was going to go somewhere where I didn't have to think about food. So what did I choose to do? I smartly chose to go to the movies. And I walked in the door and immediately started smelling movie theater popcorn. I'm like, this is really going to backfire on you, dude. But here's what happened. I'm walking through the doors of that theater. And yeah, for a fleeting moment, I'm like, oh God, this was a mistake. I smell popcorn. But the thing that I noticed more was that as I was walking up to the ticket counter, it occurred to me that I was holding my pants up (laughs) and I had to duck into the men's room for the first time and tighten that belt because in four days time, I had lost enough weight around my waist that I now had to tighten up my belt a little bit. Yeah. So that kind of broke the curse of the breakup with the Big Macs thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know what? You felt like shit when you were eating like that. This right here, right now, knowing that I have to run into that men's room and tighten up my belt, yeah. that felt pretty damn good. <laughs> and 
it was very motivating. And then there were other things that happened in very, very rapid succession because I can remember having so much trouble getting up off the couch. And now all of a sudden, a week into this thing, and it's taking a little bit of doing, but I can actually get up and it didn't hurt and it didn't take that much effort anymore. There was still a lot of weight. I was still carrying a lot of weight. I hadn't lost that much at that point, but I could get up. And by the time I got done with my third session, I can remember having to push myself up out of those chairs. You remember the chairs that she had in there? Yeah. And most of them had armrests? Yes. That was kind of intimidating for me when I first went in there because I was so wide that I was afraid that the chairs would be uncomfortable. But they were designed really for bigger people because who's going to go for this kind of therapy? So when I sat down, they were comfortable and they also provided me a way of bracing myself so I could get up. And the first two sessions, I was bracing myself to get up. On the third session, I realized that before we even went into the room and we were waiting in the, in the waiting area outside, it occurred to me that I had gotten up out of that chair and I wasn't holding anything. Yeah. And toward the end of that last session, the practitioner actually asked for a little bit of feedback and a little bit of testimonial and, you know, what's going on so far? How is this working for you so far? And I remember telling her all the stuff that I just said and, you know, in a more Reader's Digest sort of way. And then I said to her, and you know what? Three weeks ago when I started this, I could not get up off my couch without help and proceeded to put my hands on my thighs push myself up out of that chair and stand up unassisted. And that was something that I had not done in a very long time. And the other thing that I noticed just prior to that was when I was out in the yard and I was working in what used to be my garden, (laughs) um, I was able to get up without any kind of help or support. I used to keep a rake nearby so I could grab that and I could pull myself up with it. And it occurred to me that I didn't need that anymore. So all of these things were major motivators. And it got me to the point where I stopped missing those Big Macs. And all of this stuff together, I'm certain, had to do with the fact that I had allowed someone to take some really bad thought processes and realign them a little bit so that I could think more clearly about what I was doing and what I needed to do if I wanted to be well. Yeah. So... As far as I'm concerned, it was a success. And like I said before, I I haven't kept every pound off, but I certainly haven't gained it back with interest the way most people do. So I'm very, very, very pleased with the way that that worked out. I'm pleased with the fact that I had a therapist, even if I only had him for seven weeks, who was able to get me to look at what was going on inside my head in a way that made sense for me at the time. Because even though I don't need those images, those avatars anymore, at that point in time, I don't know if there was anything else that would have gotten me to look as objectively at things as that. So using guided meditation and using actual hypnotherapy really did transform the spider from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And very, very good changes started happening back in 2013. And I attribute most of it to those two things. So yeah, I'm definitely in the camp of, yes, this is real. And I'm in good company. The Mayo Clinic, Psychology Today, even Time Magazine had a really good article on this titled, Is Hypnosis Real Science? 
And in that article, they cite hypnosis as an effective supplemental treatment for cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically one of the top alternatives or the top alternative to hypnotherapy. And it works with things like PTSD and other forms of trauma, but it can also be effective in other areas. And the Mayo Clinic also has a page on hypnosis where they say this, quote, while hypnosis can be effective in helping people cope with pain, stress, and anxiety, cognitive behavioral therapy is considered the first treatment for these conditions. Hypnosis may also be used as part of a comprehensive program for quitting smoking or losing weight. Right. Well, when you got the Mayo Clinic saying that you can lose weight with the help of hypnosis, when you've got sources like Psychology Today that say that this is a real thing, it's hard to get around the fact that there is actual science behind this, that it's not all smoke and mirrors and it's not all theatrics because unfortunately, that's what most people think about when they think about hypnosis. They're not thinking about someone being able to manage their PTSD better. They're thinking about someone standing on a stage and clucking like a chicken. And that is not what hypnosis is. Hypnosis is not something that happens on a stage. You cannot plant suggestions in people's head that make them start dancing to YMCA when they hear the word sandwich. It's not something that you can do. Now, you and I have been to one of these shows. Do you remember when we saw Stephen Christopher at Cove Haven? Yeah. 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 I do. Um, It was obvious that the people on the stage that night were just going along with it. I mean, there was one guy in particular who had a real hard time following directions. But every time he was redirected, he agreed with what this quote-unquote hypnotist was telling him to do. And I think that this guy learned a long time ago that when you put people on a stage and you tell them that this is something that's supposed to happen, they don't want to look like fools in front of the rest of the audience. So they're going to play along. And it's just like when Benny Hinn waves his coat and 200 people get slain in the spirit at once. No one on that stage that night wanted to be the one on whom it didn't work. Yeah. So they played along. And I think that it's pretty damn obvious that most of them were just playing along. And this one guy that I can remember vividly, he really had a hard time following directions. And he was trying to project what he was supposed to project. And it just wasn't working very well. It's like, yeah, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. And the hypnotist is full of shit, but it's entertaining. This is what people classically look at as what hypnosis is. And yeah, it's a fun diversion. That's for sure. But that's all it is. When you're looking at someone up on a stage and telling people to do crazy shit, that's all it is, is a show. And a lot of times they even have their own plants in the audience so that they know that it goes well. But in this instance, I'm certain these were just people that were staying at the resort. Yeah. And again, they get up on the stage and who wants to look like the schmuck that it doesn't work on? <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much the full story with that. But the simple fact of the matter here is that hypnosis is not about theatrics and it isn't about making people do stupid shit for an audience. It's about teaching your brain to think in a more organized way, even in short bursts, so that certain thought processes can be more closely examined and new avenues of thought established. The goal of hypnosis is to provide the client with the necessary mental tools to work toward a specific goal or purpose. Hypnosis isn't designed to provide solutions. It's designed to set the wheels in motion so it's easier to make better decisions about things like what we really need to be angry about, or if we really do need to steer into that drive-through. 
When McDonald's was my drug of choice, I flat out couldn't resist the urge to steer into that drive-thru when I drove by. One hypnotherapy session later, and I haven't eaten that stuff in almost eight years. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Does the spider believe in it? This is one area where I'm allowing myself the luxury of belief only because I'm walking proof that it can work. Right. Now, I can remember, do you remember that summer right after I had started this? I had started it in May and we went to see my mother in July. Right. And I had already lobbed off an insane amount of weight. I did not look like me anymore. Right. And I can remember going to their little family reunion that they did every summer. And do you remember that crazy lady from Faith Assembly? Yes, I do. Who was always fucking present. For whatever reason, my mother had kind of latched on to this person. No, but I she think was, she latched on to your mother. Yeah, but you know what? My mother played along because she's a lot like me and kind of has that saving people saving thing going on. So, yeah, she allowed this. And even me with the saving people thing couldn't understand why she was letting this person just latch onto her the way that she did. But in retrospect, of course, I understand it because it's the type of thing that I would do if I was directly involved in that situation. Yeah. I found this out about myself pretty heavily in the last couple of years. Mm. But do you recall what she said? Were you even there for that conversation to hear what she said to me? I probably wasn't there. I think you did tell me about it, though. Yeah. So let's tell the audience. So basically, this crazy lady looks at me. And while everyone else is congratulating me for the progress that I'm making and everyone else is telling me that I look good and that I have a much lighter Mm. demeanor and all of this stuff, that I seemed happier and all of this. And she just, she asked me how I was losing the weight and I told her what I did. I told her that I had gone for hypnosis and that it had really helped me make some decisions and start eating better. And I didn't miss a lot of the stuff that I thought that I would miss and blah, blah, blah. And she just looked at me and said, yeah, you know what? I don't like the idea of hypnosis. I think it goes against God. Yeah. And it's like, okay, there are only a couple of people along. And there were a couple along the way that were very disparaging about my weight loss and for various reasons. Oh, yeah. They were very disparaging. But they were very few and far between. Only one that I can remember who wasn't an evangelical. Right. But this particular lady, I mean, I am standing there and censoring the ever-loving shit out of my thoughts and trying to figure out how I'm going to come back at this and not have my mother screaming at me later. Mm. So the best cushion that I came up with for my own thoughts with this were to look at her and say, well, I guess it's a good thing that I don't care what your God thinks about anything Mm. because in my estimation of things... Any God who would rather me still be sick than do something that's going to make me well isn't worth worshiping. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I said to her. Oh, definitely. You know, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, fuck you and fuck your God. That was pretty much th- what was in my head at the moment. And I'm like, okay, we kind of need to tone that down a little bit, but we have to respond to this. Yeah. And I did. And I said, you know, if God would be happier with me being sick, then what kind of God is he? And, you know, I'm sorry that you don't like the choice that I made here or the way that I'm doing things, but it's working for me. I'm getting well. And I honestly and truly believe that if you really cross-examined yourself with these thoughts about this, you would agree with me that any responsible parent would want their child to be well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
and this worked for me and I'm going with it. And that was pretty much how I left it with her. Yeah. You know, even then I was out of the evangelical thing at that point. I was knee deep in Wicca. Oh, sure. So, yeah. you know, I was definitely in the mode of we'll fuck you and fuck your God over that. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, I didn't approach her that way. Yeah. Because I don't not, think that it would have been productive. Not quite that harsh. No, no, it wouldn't have been productive. No. And there comes a point where you just have to understand that you're not going to change these people's minds with aggression. But, you know, if you put a thought in, in their head like that, maybe, just maybe it'll germinate a little bit. But, you know, in, in a mind that's that addled. Yeah. Where she can't just figure out a way to be cordial and has to bring Jesus into it. Probably not. No. But that's okay. The words got said, it was communicated, and she shut the fuck up after that. <laughs> and that's really what I was going for. Yeah. Did you want to jump in with this? Because um, we, ta- we talked about my experience with that program, but yeah. you went through the same program. Oh, sure. I went through the same program. I think I was on for about 13 months. It was interesting. I found the whole experience really interesting. The only thing I really remember clearly is at the beginning, because, you know, she was sitting there in her little chair. She had all of these things around her, and it was kind of odd. It was a little. But I was also kind of like, okay, you need this stuff to do your job. You can have whatever you need. She claimed to be autistic. Yeah. Which, you know, that a lot of times you need stuff around you to either provide comfort or provide focus or centering or whatever. So that part, and I knew that about her before I went, so that part really didn't, it it didn't didn't surprise me. It didn't really surprise me either. And plus I was in Wicca. It's like, if this is what you need to do, whatever you do, you do it. And I just thought that she had a very interesting manner, but most of the time I felt like I was dreaming. And I'd go into some sort of weird dream. It just kind of felt on that level. Yeah, it just sort of stayed there in in, an almost REM-like state. Right. Yeah. You know, it's there for however many hours, and then didn't feel like that. Oh, not at all. Not at all. These sessions were like four hours long. Right, and and it's like felt like two. Well, you see, for me, it felt like less. Yeah. You know, I was I was always surprised. To learn that the session was over because she droned on and on and on about all kinds of things. Right. But at the end of the session, it didn't feel like you'd been there for that long. Right. No, I just thought it was an extremely interesting and valuable experience. I mean, I think that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it if you hadn't been doing it with me. Yeah, it's always helpful to have someone to do it with. Honestly. But I did, I did this for what? Not a year because you went... You went in September. I went right. in May. You went in September. Right. So I had a head start. I mm-hmm. did this by myself with zero cheats right up to the point where you started. And then we did it for like another year, I'm pretty sure. Right. I think that's about it. Um, I did it for 13 months. I think you tried to do it longer, but you were kind of done. And you'd, you'd your face had started looking really gaunt. Oh, yeah. At one point, and it was like, okay, you need to stop. There was a point where I just didn't feel like I looked like me or felt like me anymore because right. I've never been thin. I didn't have the goal of becoming thin. I had the goal of becoming well. And even my right. own doctor had told me, it's like, look, you are at about the right weight for your height. You could if you wanted to lose a little bit more, but it's not necessary. At this point, it's time to start incorporating a little bit of carbohydrate into your diet again, just slowly and let your body start 
understanding what balanced eating is again because she had also done this program. So she knew what it all entailed. She knew what it was about. And she told me, look, you have literally lost an entire adult male. You are almost literally half the man you used to be. So at this point, it's time to give yourself a break and start incorporating some stuff into your diet that's going to help you feel a little bit more balanced because the whole diet was based solely on meat and vegetables. Right. And so it was very low carb. It was, I wouldn't call it aggressive low carb. I think Mm. I used that word earlier, but it's not really aggressive low carbing because we were allowed certain things like milk, which has carbs. We could have any kind of condiments that we wanted. So if we had a hamburger, it didn't have a bun, but it could have all the ketchup we wanted. And there's loads of sugar in that and sugar equals carbs. Right. So it wasn't aggressive low carbing. It was sneaking the carbs in in a way that they sort of kind of got a little bit more canceled out. It was a matter of not zeroing, but definitely diminishing the net carbs was the way that she had the diet set up, but it still felt incomplete. And after a while, I didn't really like doing it, but I never cheated on it. Not one single solitary time did I cheat on it until it was time to go on maintenance. Yeah. And that was, that was it. Yeah. And maintenance isn't cheating. Maintenance no. is maintenance. So I never, not one time did I cheat on this diet. And that to me also says that the hypnosis end of it had to be real because right. I don't know of anybody who goes on a diet for 17 months and just does it. Yeah. I don't know of anyone who does that. No. And it was extremely easy to yeah. not cheat. Yeah, it was. Because you didn't crave it. I had a few problems with the diet just because I was diabetic I still am diabetic. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, you know, I was diabetic and I was on some meds, but the problem was that my blood sugar would get too low and there was really not a good way to bring it up. Right. And it would be really difficult for me to stay on, but I did for 13 months. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not, it wasn't the best situation for you. You never no. really felt all that great. No, I felt terrible. I, I felt okay. But it just felt like there was something missing. Right. I didn't feel sick. I just felt like my diet was off balance. And that was it. But I also understood that it was a temporary thing. And that I had assaulted my body with all of this stuff for so long that it was probably a good idea to detox from most of it. Yes. Which I did. The only thing that really got me about that entire experience and what led me to a certain... And, and pretty heavy degree of skepticism about it was that there were disparities between what she said from session to session. Right. And I wasn't the only one who picked up on it. And there were online communities that also picked up on some of these things. And the messaging changed a little bit over time. Yes. So I'm not sure what the reasoning was for that. Right. But I do know that following that plan, the right. way that I understood it, worked yes so as far as i'm concerned she can turn around and tell us that we can have cheese in session two and tell us no cheese in session three well guess what i still ate cheeseburgers the entire time just no buns yeah i still put cheese on my sandwiches and well not sandwiches in in the in those cold cut rolls that i used to make i would put cheese on that and i still lost weight we were told not to eat anything that had high soy content And then I find out that the breakfast sausages that we eat are almost all soy. (laughs) Well, 
I had already lost like 80 pounds yeah. and was eating these things almost daily. So no, I didn't cut those out, even though I knew that it would have made her a little bit uppity if she knew that I was eating that stuff. I was still losing weight. I didn't adjust anything. It was working and I followed it the way that I understood it and it just worked. But the thing is, when something like that happens and you're hearing different messaging from session to session, it does chip away at that yeah. person's credibility a little bit. Yeah. And it has made me skeptical of her from pretty early on until now, just because there is that disparity. I right. think that I think it worked. I think that whatever it is that she did definitely worked, but I would have a hard time going back to it. Yes. At I, this point, because of the stuff that I've learned since and observed since and just the levels of disparity that yeah. uh, that existed there made me skeptical of her not the process but a little bit skeptical of her because right. she may have still been a really good hypnotist and she probably was but consistency is a very very important thing oh, in yeah. any kind of therapy right yeah i had that problem too because i went for a refresher probably about what two years later a year later something like yeah because i had started like my eating had gotten out of control and i was trying to rein it in. Um, so I went back and everything was different. It felt like everything was different. She was talking about which tea you could have, which seltzers you could have. She was talking about the brand of yogurt that she no longer recommended because it was, she said that the formula had changed and there were all these extraneous things that I'd never heard before. And I couldn't get back into it. And it makes you paranoid. Right. It That's just, the thing. It, it makes you like paranoid. It's like, okay, what is going on? I'm so confused. Because the first time it was like really clear, meat and vegetables. That's it. Nothing sweet. Don't eat when you're not hungry. You know, just like a few really, really strong rules. Yeah. There were very, very few rules. Right. But things got added in right. over time. So I think the moral of this story is that even if the process is legit, you still have to be wary of who you listen to. Right. She lost a lot of credibility in my head. Even though right. I've I lost all that weight and kept so much of it off, she still lost a lot of credibility inside my head because of all the cross messaging. Right. So that's one thing to look for and think about. And these things were even discussed on social media. I knew about them going in. I had been on the website. I saw all the pictures. These were not studio shots. These were people who had just sent in their before and afters and it had worked for them. And I said, okay, so even if this is true, I'm going to approach this from the standpoint of do this the way you understand it. Right. And it worked. But Today, I'm not sure I would make that concession. I would look for somebody who had a little bit more credibility behind their messaging. Yeah. That's the way that I would do it. Yeah. So now I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about the way that evangelicals deny and decry hypnosis on its face. And this, I mean, I, I heard messaging like this from the time that I was a teenager. So, of course, even though I was out of that environment by the time I decided to try this, I firmly believe, because I had heard about her at least two or three years before I oh, sure. took action. Yeah. And I do believe that being on the cusp of things, because we're talking 2009, 2010, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. 
I was still on the cusp yeah. of getting out. And I think that a lot of those old thoughts that had been put in my head when I was younger kept me from doing this for several years. Sure. And that's just par for the course. Because evangelicals have a particular dislike for hypnosis. Right. Many Christians are against it for a variety of reasons, but none of them, as far as I'm concerned, are sound. So, of course, to get the point-counterpoint part of this moving along, I went out and looked for articles about, and I think that I actually typed into Google, should Christians be hypnotized? Yeah. And I came up with an article from a website called gotquestions.org. As far as I can tell, I never saw an author for this post. So it's just ghost-written fluff content that spouts a lot of platitudes and basically misuses a lot of scripture verses to make their point. But I'm going to go through just a little bit of this and give my thoughts as we go. Whoever wrote this article, it's obvious to me that they had all of the toxic qualities of the kinds of Christian counselors that we talked about a few weeks ago. I got that vibe off of him or her or whoever it was that wrote this. I got that vibe off the author of this article pretty strongly. The biggest thing that they criticize about hypnosis is that seeking help in this way demonstrates a lack of self-control. You can't handle your problems on your own and you're not willing to take them to God. This coming from a religion that wants to make you into an ecclesiastical meat puppet, that's all they want you to be. They want Christ to live through you. They want you to die to yourself. They want you to be crucified daily, um, be crucified with Christ daily. They don't expect you to crucify yourself daily. But then anything that anyone does as a means of getting help that isn't Jesus-based demonstrates a lack of self-control as far as they're concerned anyway. Christians are supposed to know where their help comes from, and they are painfully reminded of this whenever they stray out of the confines of Christian doctrine in search of avenues of self-improvement. And this article cites verses like Galatians 5.22 and 23 as one reason to shun any kind of secular therapy, and these are the verses about the fruit of the Spirit. How this really coincides with hypnosis, I have no idea. These are a bunch of scripture verses that they basically threw in there because I believe they were familiar and people would latch on to them. But they're citing this verse, and I think it's just because it uses the words self-control right there in it. And they're saying, you see, you see, this is not what God wants for you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, how do you understand these things and implement them if your brain won't let you? Mm. And like I said a few weeks ago, there's no Christian counselor or Christian therapy out there that is going to get you any closer to a place where you are able to exercise any of these things or feel any of these things unless it's manufactured, unless it's the result of the emotionalism that they heap onto you in in a church service. That's the only way that you're going to think that you're feeling a lot of these things. And of course, since you feel that way when you're in church, then it's a good idea to just stick with church for help with all of these things, just like we were talking about a few weeks ago. They also say that hypnosis defers the responsibility of God to work out our problems with us in favor of finding answers in other people. 
and they cite Romans 6, 12, and 13 as the basis for this. They suggest that getting help from any tangible secular source is somehow sinful. Mm. And that's another thing that they love to pull out is calling anything that they disagree with a sin. Right. And we've covered the things that surround that kind of mindset a few times so far. But in a lot of instances, it's the only card they have to play. Okay, if we can't articulate what's really wrong with this, we're just going to stamp it as sin. And we're going to call it that, and that's going to make people afraid of it, and they'll shy away from it. So now getting help from an outside source that isn't demonstrably Christian, Mm. okay, all of a sudden that's sin. And this was just a real quick, I don't want to quote much from this article because most of it made my skin crawl, but (laughs) this quote was particularly cringeworthy as far as I was concerned. It says, quote, we can let sin control us or we can let God control us. What the fuck kind of choices are those? Yeah. I mean, why does anyone or anything have to control me? Why can I not have that self-control that comes from me and not from you. Right. It's not that we lack self-control. It's that we've gone in a direction to find that self-control that they disagree with. Right. There's a huge difference. Getting unbound from things like PTSD, smoking, or weight loss are bad things as far as they're concerned. But self-enslavement to a fictional deity, that's just ducky. Mm -hmm. They're perfectly okay with that. They're not okay with you getting well, but they're perfectly okay with you staying sick and tethered to a God who doesn't love you. Right. Then that's okay. Eventually, I'm going to do an entire episode on this because it's a key point that atheists bring up to Christians about the true nature of their God, and that is the subject of slavery. Right. But... Here's Paul in Romans 6.16 telling us that being a slave is something that we should be aspiring to. Do you not know that if you present yourselves unto anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed— And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. If that term does not make your skin crawl, I don't know what's going to. A slave to righteousness. And you know what? They kind of out themselves with that as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. You can be shackled to all of this shit in your life, or you can be shackled to your God, who isn't going to do anything to help you, so now you're shackled to both. Right. That's really what happens here is that you decide that you're going to be a slave of righteousness, but you're still a slave to your PTSD Mm -hmm. and you're still a slave to the way that you abuse food or alcohol or whatever it is. You're still a slave to those cigarettes. You're still a slave to the post-traumatic stress of whatever it was that you went through. You are shackled on one side to that, and you're shackled on the other side to this deity who has, A, no power to help you, and B, wouldn't if he could. Right. It's that, yeah, we need like an unbound bingo card. Yes. For some of the things that I say over and over and over again. It's that simple as one one of them. And uh, yeah, I cut a lot of those out. You would hear so many more. You would hear so many more instances of phrases like, okay, 
And it's that simple. If I didn't go back and edit them out, it's it. You know, if we had like an unbound bingo card, yes, I think it would be a fun game and for, for me people it would to play. Be, you know, well, I do the you know too. You're not the only offender with that. <laughs> but moving right along, I love how basically this entire chapter in Romans encourages us to view ourselves as slaves. I was a slave to overeating. I was a slave to anger. I was a slave to things that were so self-destructive that if I decided to deal with any of it by way of prayer and supplication or worse, through Christian counseling, I guarantee you, I guarantee you I would still be 400 pounds or possibly dead. And there's a very strong likelihood that I would be probably divorced or separated from my family in some way. Things were moving in that direction. The anger was out of control. And I have no clue how you would have managed to live with me for another year or two or five mm -hmm. in the state of mind that I was in. Because by the time I finally decided to do something about this, I had steamrolled over so many relationships. I was not at all in control of it anymore. Right. And when I wasn't angry, I didn't feel right. Yeah. That's how bad it was. I didn't feel like me if I wasn't pissed off about something. Mm -hmm. There's no possible way that you can look at that as anything else but self-imposed mental slavery. Right. And now comes this logical, reasonable, and effective therapy that's endorsed by bodies like the Mayo Clinic. And these assholes want to tell me that I should be shackled to my God yeah, and not allow someone who can actually help me with this help me with it. So now I'm basically on the rack for the rest of my life. Come on, mm. come the fuck on already. I never once found any peace in being angry or being fat or being depressed or any of the other things that had this looming, ominous effect on me all the time. I never found any peace in any of that. Um, and I never found any peace in the notion of praying about it or seeking any kind of spiritual guidance for it, even in Wicca, because I was still big when we started that. So even as a fledgling Wiccan, I didn't find a whole lot of peace in my religion yeah. when it came to this stuff. It was a little bit better. And honestly, I think that being in that environment made it easier for me to try this in the first place. Actually, it made it a lot easier. Yeah. So that's another thing that I, I would give a nod to this particular religion over is that it allowed me the the freedom of thought and freedom of choice to be able to make that decision. Right. But I didn't find comfort in the religion itself. I found it in the things that the that the religion allowed me to explore. Right. The simple fact of the matter is that you're not going to find peace by being a slave of righteousness because with all due respect, the god behind that concept is imaginary and sound clinical therapies are real. Right. If God is so much better at helping us through these things, as long as we remain slaves to him, why didn't I get any better until I got into therapy? Right. Why were my problems not getting solved? You know, think about that. Why are your problems not getting solved with prayer and with anything that your Christian counselor is telling you to do? There are many, many reasons. And I will refer you right back to our episode on Christian counseling for a much more in-depth explanation for that. But for right now, I just want to say a little bit more about this whole thing with using sin as the means of scaring people out of getting sound therapies like 
hypnotherapy for the things that we've been discussing. Since concepts like sin and the devil only exist inside our own heads, and they do, and they're simply catch-all concepts that are used to dismiss any sense of emotional unrest and self-deprecation, this verse is yet another example of the concept of denying yourself. James 4, 6, and 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, how's that working out for you? (laughs) (laughs) Just think about it. When dealing with things that cause unrest inside our heads without the right help, resistance is futile. So these things that we want to call the devil are the problems that we're faced with, or more to the point, the way that our brain deals with them in this really erratic and and unmanageable sort of way at times. But they don't want to talk about it from the standpoint of this is something that's happening in your head. Just like any good Christian counselor, they're going to tell you that it's demons or it's that it's or that it's Satan. Right. So, like I said in our episode on Christian counseling, these people don't want you to be well. Right. They do not want you to be well. They want you to be submissive and they want you to be afraid of the things that can help you. Mental focus is a primary adversary of pretty much all things Christian. The focus that is achieved through hypnosis is a direct threat to their ability to control the individual. That is the real problem here. Not that hypnosis is sinful, but that it is, in legit clinical settings, effective. Right. That's their problem with it. I'm going to read yet another quote. <laughs> and, you know, if I have to endure it, so do you. But here's some more of the cesspool kind of thinking that comes out of Christian counseling. Hypnosis leads to an altered state of consciousness in which the mind is very susceptible to outside suggestion. Direct quote from the article. That susceptibility is what the hypnotist needs in order to modify the behavior of his subject. Okay, so far so good. However, the word susceptible should concern us. Scripture says to be watchful and self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Then that's from 1 Peter 5, 8. The hypnotist is not the only one who wants to modify our behavior. Satan also wants to do the same modifying, and we should be wary of giving him any opportunity to make his suggestions. Mm. So now there's a direct correlation between hypnosis and the devil. These two things, according to the idiot who wrote this article, are one and the same. And for those of you who are out or on your way out or are starting to get the idea that this thing is not really a good thing for you, that this thing called evangelical Christianity is not going to help you, just think about that for a second. The lengths that they have to go to to scare people out of things that are helping them. Not only are we going to say that this is sinful, we're going to call it satanic now. In so many words, we're going to call it satanic. Mm-hmm. And what a buzzword that is. Yeah. What's the biggest thing that most Christians fear? They fear hell. Who's in hell? Satan. Who are they going to meet in hell? Could it be hmm, Satan? Satan? Of course. So now we have to tag that onto this. It's like reading through this article. I was thinking to myself, oh, and if I haven't managed to convince you yet, Satan. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Let's just bring a little scratch right into it. Satanic panic over hypnosis. Yeah. 
over hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Make it stop. Just make it stop, okay? And that's what I was thinking at this point in the article. It's like, I think now I need to stop just reading this because I'm like, okay, you are so bereft of any semblance of a sound argument here that now we're just going to pull out the devil card and just tell people, okay, well, you know what? If the rest of these reasons aren't good enough for you, Satan. (laughs) (laughs) And now I just remembered that the sequel to, what was it, Piercing the Darkness? Well, they were, oh, yeah, the Peretti the, books. Yeah, the Peretti books, the the second one. That was Piercing. Called. The first one was This Present Darkness. That's right. Piercing the Darkness was all about hypnosis. And this little girl was going to meet her guide like you were meeting your, your dark man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, like, dreamed up of My Little Pony because she's an eight-year-old girl. And then, like, it all turned bad and things were, you know, Satan was coming in and taking control of this little girl. And it's like, ah, I don't even remember how it ended. I just remember that it was crazy. Well, of course it was. I mean, they, they can't present this, this stuff in any way that's rational because there's right. nothing rational about it. No, but, it's, but I do remember that those books were like the harbingers. That's when I started hearing things like spiritual warfare and having a prayer cover to go into a certain situation and all of these militarized slogans. A lot of that hysteria at that time came out of these books. Oh, yeah. And most people didn't even realize that they were extra biblical concepts. Right. Not that it would have mattered to most people sitting no, in the pews. because they don't care. They're just like, they're trusting these Christian authors whether they write fiction or nonfiction, to tell you the truth. Right. And it just ain't so. That's interesting that you brought that up, though, because I, I never made it past the first 60 pages of This Present Darkness. Oh, I had... It was I that had bad. very low... Um, I had low expectations for my literature. Yeah. But <laughs> it's interesting that this whole thing in the second book uh, revolved around this girl's avatar. Yeah. You use the name of mine, because I used to refer to mine as the Dark Man. Right. And I don't know what hers was, but it's very telling that this is the type of thing that they would latch on to. Right. Because as an evangelical, I would have probably been scared to death of the Dark Man. I would have thought that he was a demon. Because with all due respect, the look of this guy that I had constructed in my head, I wouldn't say that he was demonic, but he wasn't pleasant to look at either. You know, so I think that having been exposed to something like that as a Christian and then having some crackpot pastor or just someone sitting in the pew next to me, taking that and taking away from me what I was learning from it and depositing all this satanic bullshit on it. Oh, yeah. I think would have done a number on me. Oh, sure. But yeah, it's also interesting that this is a thing that happens with a lot of people where they take information and create constructs in their head. And honestly, I think that's pretty much where most gods came from, too. Oh, sure. And sure. it was the same kind of thought processes that put these things together in people's heads. And over time, they just started believing that they were real. Well, I never believed that the Dark Man was real. But I understood why he was set up in my head the way that he was. I understood why my brain created that particular avatar. And I don't think that I ever would have gotten to the point of exploring that to the extent that I did if 
I still had any semblance of evangelical influence in my life at that point. Right. I think that it yeah. would have been scared right out of me. Just the way that these, this person who wrote this article is trying to scare you away from hypnosis by not just telling you that it's ineffective, but the progression of information in this article is that it's not a good idea for Christians. Um, it's flat out sin. And, oh, it's satanic. Of course. It's, that's, the, that's the whole progression of the messaging in this. And many of the reasons, now there, there are so many things that were, that were in this article. It wasn't a long article, but they went to great lengths to restate the same things over and over and over again. That was another thing that I noticed with it. So many of the reasons, quote unquote reasons, why hypnosis is bad for the believer are just restated. The same concept is restated over and over. No one, and that concept is basically this. No one should be controlling you except God, and Jesus is the answer to everything. Well, wrong on both counts. What makes it more wrong is the notion that you somehow aren't in control. Okay, this is a key part of hypnosis and why it works. Any licensed clinician will tell you. And I was told this very thing when I went for weight loss. One of the first things that she said was that the only way that hypnosis works is if you surrender your will to it and allow the practitioner to speak freely to your subconscious. So I had enough evangelical thinking still in there that for a split second that raised a red flag. Like, I have, wait a minute, I have to give this person my brain? Well, no, that's not what she said. What she said is you have to be willing to accept the suggestions right. and not fight them. But here's the thing that I think some people don't understand about this. I was in control of what I allowed to happen to my brain. And that's also a crucial part of this is that you have to remain in control because if you're not in control, how do you implement any of this stuff when you walk away from a hypnotherapy session? How do you even begin to implement it in a way that it's actually going to get you from point A to point B? So no, you're totally in control. I made the conscious choice to surrender my will when she said that for the purposes of this exercise. I didn't give my life to this hypnotist, okay? No. I gave her the opportunity to do something good inside my head, and I had no reason to really fear it. And anyone out there who is still, you know, has this kind of thinking kind of lodged in their head is going to uh, is going to say, "Well, was that really the best thing for you to do? Why on earth would you just surrender your will to somebody not knowing 100% what they were going to do and what kinds of information they were going to put inside your brain? Um, I did it because my will wasn't working out for me. Mm. Okay. I had no willpower to drive past that drive-through. I needed new ways to think about things like the drive-through. I needed to look at these things from a different perspective and not from the perspective of I need this, but more from the perspective of why I didn't. Right. And that's the difference. And that I think was a huge part of what she did is explain why what you're doing isn't working and why you need to make these changes and why doing things this way is going to help you. I don't remember a lot of what was said. But I remember the concepts and I remember having enough control over my thoughts to be able to say, I agree with this. I disagree with that. Right. And there were a few things that she said that I was like, oh, wait, come on. No, that's I don't think that I'm going to take this away from this experience. 
But I took away everything that I needed to get the job done. Right. I still had my brain. I was still there. I didn't wake up out of a trance state and start clucking like a chicken when I heard the word Jabberwocky. All right. <laughs> it didn't happen. It was nothing like that. And yeah, there was definitely a degree of trust involved since, I mean, let's face it, I didn't know precisely what suggestions were being put in there, but did I really have a reason to worry? Here's the thing. I had not seen any news stories about people going off on killing sprees or jumping off the South End Bridge because they were hypnotized by this person um, so that they could lose weight. <laughs> what I did see, like I mentioned before, were a lot of pictures of real people on her website who went from being huge to being a reasonable weight for their body types. And these were not studio shots. These were snapshots that people took on their phones and sent in. There was no reason not to submit to what she was asking me to submit to. There was no reason not to submit to it that was anything but paranoid and religiously fueled in nature. Couple that with the fact that hypnosis does not, does not, does not hijack your will. You can't be made to think things that aren't true. You cannot be influenced under hypnosis to abandon your sense of morals or ethics and start doing things that defy your personality, demeanor, or sense of right and wrong. These are not things that happen as a result of hypnosis. Hypnosis is not about the practitioner controlling you. It's about you being given the tools to control areas of your thought life that you've had a hard time getting under wraps. That's most of it. Now, as a final Hail Mary, the author of this article links hypnosis to, quote, mystical, philosophical, and religious systems, including the occult. And yes, things like guided meditation and transcendental meditation do have their roots in spiritism. But I'll say it again. There are few evangelicals out there that have the first clue what the occult is. And there's another episode in there. Yes. I think. Yeah, definitely. The occult and Satanism, for those of you who are coming out of this and haven't had a lot of exposure to it yet, the occult and Satanism are not even closely related. They are not the same thing. But in evangelical terms, they're synonymous. Right. Because they're idiots. And they don't research anything. And they don't give a fuck about the truth about anything. So they just perpetuate it because the word sounds a little sinister. And in the context of how they use it, it's even more sinister. But just because it shows up in certain occult practices does not, by definition, make it satanic, okay? Because Satan is not part of the equation in the occult. It's that simple. You know, or, or I shouldn't say it's not part of the equation. It's not the sinister sort of thing that it's made out to be. Right. Because Satan is a spiritual concept, then yes, there are elements to what this thing called Satan is that show up in various occult religions, philosophies, whatever you want to call them. It's there, but it's not the focal point. Right. What really impresses upon me about this, and as I read this article, what really impresses upon me about this is that they actually do the same thing that they tell you is evil, wherein you are surrendering your will to the process, but being made to do so by means of manipulation. And I'm talking specifically about the church experience here, okay? Yeah. In a typical church service, worship leaders in particular, but pastors, preachers, and other spiritual leaders do this all the time. They deliver an emotionally charged sermon that puts you in the headspace of suggestion. Then they tell you to do things like close your eyes 
and focus on a specific idea, whether it's salvation, Holy Spirit, baptism, rededication, or something else. So they're using the elements of this. They're just not telling you right off that you have to surrender your will to them. They scapegoat their God and then start doing this shit. The instant you're told to bow your head and close your eyes, you are being told to focus your attention and let your brain do what it would do during a hypnosis session. There are two distinct reasons why every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around is a thing in evangelical settings. It sets people at ease about being watched, thereby allowing them to focus on themselves while not becoming too self-conscious about who's looking at them. They're thinking about themselves and not what other people are thinking about them. The other is to start planting suggestions. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Now you are focused on you. You're centered in this little space that's yours and they keep talking and they keep putting things in your head Yep. and they do it without your consent, <laughs> which makes it a little thing I like to refer to as unethical. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've talked in a previous episode, like way, way, way back. I think this was like the second or third episode when we were talking about speaking in tongues. I talked about the night that I was, quote unquote, called into ministry. Yeah. And the nature of that, the way that it happened. I think that I told this story before, so I'm just going to give a little snippet because it's relevant right here. The most significant thing that I remember happening, well, the second most significant thing that I remember happening that night was when the speaker had us all with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and he'd been chatting at us for about 10 minutes, or at least it felt like that. It was a long time. And I remember him saying that if any of us out there felt a pull toward full-time ministry, that we should just stand up. And when I opened my eyes, I was standing up, but I do not remember standing up Mm, yeah so you tell me what the difference is between a post-hypnotic suggestion and something like that because i was put in a place where my concentration was focused on this one thing that was going on in my head the suggestion was planted there and when i opened my eyes i was on my feet And I use that as proof that this is what God wanted for me. God put me on my feet because God wanted me in full-time ministry. Yep. And then when they brought us all down to the front for the altar service that uh, went on for like six or seven days after that, (laughs) um, this was when I got quote unquote baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I can remember this process too. I was told to close my eyes. And to breathe in deep and breathe out and get into that rhythm. And after a few minutes of eyes being closed, breathing in and out, and the music, that sweet, sweet music that was playing in the background that they always use to augment every fucking thing they do. Uh-huh. Breathing in, breathing out, and then all of a sudden this dude says, with your next breath, just unleash your prayer language. And I did. Yep. And I babbled like a toddler. And called it God. Now, you tell me what the difference is between that and someone in a clinical setting getting you to do things that are that are actually profitable right. for you, that have actual practical application. 
The only difference is that this was very impractical and it was very manipulative. Right. So it can be used for nefarious purposes too. That was another thing actually that put a little bit of a bug in my head about doing hypnosis is that they could actually tell me anything. Yeah. But but I've since learned that regardless of what they want to put in there, nothing is going to get in there and stay there that I don't want there. Right. At 15 years old, I wanted what God wanted for me. So it was very easy to plant a suggestion in my head that I should be going into full-time ministry because I had at least in an indirect way given my consent to it because I had already decided that this was what I wanted and I had already decided a while previous that I wanted the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So there's your consent right there. Yep. But the problem is it's not direct consent. No one stood there and said, okay, We're going to do this, and this is the probable result. You are surrendering your will to me, and I'm going to put these thoughts in your head. When I went for hypnosis for weight loss, it was the first thing that was said. Right. And that, to me, is a very significant difference. But just like with Christian counseling, from the standpoint of the evangelical, the objection to hypnosis isn't in the concept. It's in the delivery. As long as it's God who wants people to surrender their will and open themselves up to suggestion, it's okay, forgiving the fact that it's still people controlling the environment. But also like Christian counseling, a secular alternative to this kind of mind control runs the risk of handing over control of one's life to the individual, which ostensibly takes that control away from the people masquerading as agents of a higher power. And with that period put on my thoughts about that idiotic article that I endured so you didn't have to. (laughs) Let's talk as we start winding things down a little bit about some of the reasons why you might want to seek hypnotherapy as part of the process of getting well from whatever it is that's going on in your head. So reason number one, you have a specific problem or issue that needs dealing with. Hypnosis is not a nebulous thing. It's not a fix-all thing that you can just go in and get your brain scrubbed. That's not how it works. Hypnosis focuses on one specific thing or more to the point, one specific thing at a time. That's very important. You need to have a specific reason to pursue this as a therapy or as an augmentation to the therapy that you're in. Number two, other therapies and medications have failed to provide you with relief or lasting relief. So this is where the augmentation part of it comes in. A lot of times if someone's on an antidepressant and it's not working well or there are side effects that that make it ineffective or less effective, then your doctor will prescribe something else to take with it. Well, this is the same basic thing. This is something that you do to augment the therapy that you're in. In 90 plus percent of cases, that's the thing. It wasn't an augmentation to my therapy when I started it for weight loss. It was a standalone thing. So there are exceptions to the rule. But for the most part, this is something that you want to incorporate as part of an an established therapy. Number three, you're comfortable with the idea of letting someone else steer your thoughts for a little while so you can feel better or ditch bad thought processes and habits going forward. You're not becoming a slave to your hypnotist. No. You're surrendering your will for a little while so that this person can help redirect things a little bit, right? not make you do things that you don't want to do, not 
put suggestions in your head that you come back for more sessions, that sort of thing. No, that's usually, hopefully, not what's going on. And if you do notice that that's something that's going on, you are not going to the right hypnotist or hypnotherapist. It's that simple. Number four, you have trouble concentrating during therapy sessions or keeping up with prescribed therapies. If that's you, then hypnotherapy could help with that as well. It could help you rein in some of those thoughts and start developing better thought processes that make it easier for you to receive what you're supposed to receive from therapy and do the things outside of therapy that you're being asked to do. Those to me are some of the most pertinent reasons why you would consider hypnotherapy. And of course, the other ones that we've talked about before that you suffer from things like PTSD or that you can't lose weight or that you can't stop smoking because hypnotherapy has been proven to help with these things. And I'm walking proof that it helps with these things, or at least with the weight loss part of it. So just a little bit of advice for those of you who are considering or have been or are newly, because of what you've heard tonight, considering trying this. Number one, properly vet any practitioner you choose to work with. Demand hard data and observable results. Don't just take written testimonials on a website as proof of anything. The thing that really got me in the door with this particular place was the fact that there were so many pictures of so many people that I knew were not studio shots. These were people that went through this and wanted other people to know that it worked. Number two, if you are in therapy right now, work with your therapist to find a trustworthy practitioner if this is something that the two of you can agree upon. Do not go out on your own seeking hypnotherapy solutions without keeping your therapist in the loop. If I did that with mine, he'd drop me like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. Because it's a huge violation of trust. Do not go over your therapist's head. And that's if you're going for any other kind of therapy. If you feel like you need to be speaking to a psychiatrist about certain things, and there are things that a psychiatrist can help you with that a psychologist or a social worker can't. Right. But if this is something that's in your head, then you need to communicate it to your therapist. Any other therapies that you decide that you're going to pursue need to be discussed with your therapist first. Because if you don't, it can have a detrimental effect on your therapy if that person keeps you around. But most ethical therapists are not going to keep you around if you violate trust. Yeah. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. Last thing that I can tell you is that you need to do this when you're ready, especially in instances of things like weight loss or smoking cessation. If you aren't emotionally ready to start the journey, no amount of hypnosis will put you there. It won't work and you'll be throwing good money after bad. You have to be ready. That is vital. So just a few thoughts in closing here. My goal here tonight was not to convince you to try hypnotherapy. It's not for everybody. And honestly, that suggestion and recommendation should really come from a therapist, not a podcaster. It should come from someone who knows you and understands that there are certain blocks and barriers that could be moved by implementing a little bit of this kind of therapy. But if you're a former evangelical, you probably have a few baseless apprehensions built in that could keep you from trying it, regardless of who suggests it. Remember, please, that these tactics and mind access exercises have been used on you in church from day one. 
The difference between every head bowed and every eye closed and competent clinical hypnotherapy lies only in the intent of the person delivering the suggestions. Also remember that apprehension will greatly diminish the effectiveness of hypnotherapy. Do it when you're ready. I just said it a second ago, but it bears repeating and repeating over and over and over again. Do it when you're ready. I do hope that we've been able to set your mind at ease about whether or not this is legitimate, whether or not it's something that's good for you. I hope that we've kind of answered some of those questions, but please do all the research that you need to be able to enter into it with a properly centered attitude. Check out the clinical sources in the show notes and go out searching for more. Look for good sources, not blogs, not entertainment-based resources, not stage show hypnotists, please. Mm. We're talking hypnotherapy, not hypnosis as a sideshow act. And I think that by now you understand what the difference is. Finally, keep in mind that apprehension toward any trusted clinical therapy is the result of religious trauma. You have been successfully programmed to fear any kind of treatment that is not faith-based. The only real cure for fear is knowledge. Learn what you need to about hypnotherapy and make an informed decision about it. Thinking rationally and with the intent of learning the truth can at least push the fear far back enough in your head to allow you to try it and reap the benefits of it. Once you see that positive changes are happening, that fear will ostensibly vanish. That's the thing about fear. It's based largely on concepts like uncertainty or a sense of danger, and most evangelical pastors and Christian counselors use these concepts to keep you from exploring anything they consider sinful or ungodly. Just purpose to do what we suggest constantly around here. Seek the truth wherever it leads. You might lose some weight, you might quit smoking, or you might find some relief from other mental or physical issues as a result of good clinical hypnotherapy. And with a clearer head, a healthier mind, and a healthier body comes a more focused sense of self. And having a focused sense of self virtually guarantees that you will continue moving toward getting and staying unbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.